Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I am also, uh, as I told everybody uh, a few days ago, taking some time off, but I did want to record a couple episodes to go up while I was away. This is one of them. My guest today, former Washington Redskins offensive lineman Mark Schlereth, who, of course, went on to a have a fine career with the Denver Broncos. He's now an analyst for Fox Sports. Had a chance to talk to Mark before I went away, before the Terry McLaurin signing. Uh, and just had a chance to talk to a former alumni about, you know, he, had a, he, he was recently back with the team, got a chance to meet some of the young players. What does he think of the team, his view of where the commanders are going into the season and a lot more. Obviously, Mark is a fun guy. He's got some good opinions, so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation here on the podcast, which, of course, you can subscribe to on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Of course, make sure to check out The Athletic for stories. I do have a couple stories that will be coming up as well. One of them, um, the week of July 4th, regarding Jahan Dotson. Uh, had a chance to talk to Dotson during this offseason program, spoke to a bunch of other folks as well about him and the impact that he could make for this team and, and sort of his roots of how he got going with football. Push-ups are involved, and he likes money. I will just say that. So go check out that on The Athletic the week of July 4th. Uh, all right, so... um. I don't have much else to say because I don't know what else is going on in the world right now as we're discussing, at least with the Terry McLaurin deal. That's one thing off the table. If anything else happened, I'll deal with it when I get back. So let's get to it. Uh, here is my conversation with Mark Schlereth talking Washington Commanders. Oh, by the way, let me just say Mark is on Twitter at Mark Schlereth. So you can go check him out. A good follow for sure. All right. Anyway, here here it is. My conversation with Mark Schlereth here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Joining us here on the podcast. Excited for this one. Uh, former member of the Washington Redskins, NFL analyst, who was recently in back in town for a, a, a team alumni event I want to ask him about. He is Mark Schlereth. Mark, I appreciate the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Good to be with you. What... Um, you are notably here uh, at the beginning of your career, and then obviously you gained some extra fame in Denver, and I know that's become your kind of your your home. But it was it was nice to see. It feels like they're trying to pick up the alumni situation a bit lately. And you were at an event recently with the rookies. What was that like for you, just to sort of get back to to, to your roots here with this team and and kind of see what the new generation's about? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, you know, for me, it was fun. It was fun to come back. It was fun to be in the facility. It was fun to reconnect with some guys that, uh, you know, Donnie Warren, I spent 30, 40 minutes on Donnie Warren's last day um, in the organization. So got to reconnect with him, tell some stories and, um, you know, talk about the team going forward, got to connect with Ron Rivera and a couple other coaches on the staff that I know, um, so, you know, I, I like I like that aspect of um, of what was going on. And then just, you know, just what they're trying to do. You know, they're trying to change the culture. They're trying to educate the young players on um, 
what it takes, what it takes to be successful. And I think one of the big things, and I told my son this all the time, you know, when he was embarking on um, being a professional athlete and playing professional baseball is just because you play a, a pro sport doesn't make you a professional and trying to educate the kids on how to become professionals, um, what that means. And so I appreciate the organization doing, um, doing its part to bring in the alumni, to uh, bring in guys that have had success and been part of championship teams and, um, and really trying to invest in the kids' lives. So I, I think that's, uh, I think that it, it says a lot about the direction the organization wants to take. We're talking right now on uh, Thursday, the day after the hearings up on Capitol Hill, and we don't have to delve in too much into that. But a lot of the conversation is constantly about the culture here. There's there's different aspects of the culture, the the business side, and the you know the, the harassment aspects were going on before. But there's also the winning in the locker room side, and it feels like that side has been void of direction for a long time. I always said when they started to get rid of the people from sort of the Joe Gibbs era abruptly and then there was no carryover sort of year to year it just became hired guns and mercenaries that they lost a sense of what it meant to be a member of this team that won a bunch of Super Bowls do you kind of did you kind of have a feel that 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 something got lost along the way and that you are seeing signs now that they really are trying to make it a sense of what it means to be positively to be a member of this team I think they yeah I think so I think that's part of the part of the process but you know I think one of the things you said there is is very important. You can't separate the business part from the administration part, from the football part, from the coaching part, from the players part, because they all intertwine. They're all part of the organization. And so you can't ask your players to be above board. You can't ask your players to do things right. You can't ask your players to uh, you know, to be on time and and to you know, quote unquote, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. If on the business side and the administration side, you're not willing to do the same thing. So, you know, that's one of the dynamics of of an organization is you know we talk about building culture, and you know, the culture is not it's not static, it's alive, it's moving all the time, and. I always tell people the culture is a lot like irrigation um, and, and water will follow the path of least resistance. Um, and that's why sometimes you look at your lawn and go, why is that one area so yellow and everything else is lush and green? Well, and that, that area has become hydrophobic. It's become, you know, taller than it's, it's higher than the other areas. It's a hard pan. So the water doesn't penetrate it just straight. Uh, you know, it skates across. And so, you have to be very diligent in building that culture every single day. And you can't sit there and say, Hey guys, this is the way I want you to do it. Um, but from the owner's office on down, it's not operating that way because I think as a player that's out there executing on the football field, if you're not willing to do it right upstairs, if you're not willing to do it right in the administration aspect or the business aspect, how can you ask us to do it? You know, it becomes fraudulent. And, and so I think that oftentimes we try to separate and say, well, we need more player leadership or we more that, that, Hey, the, the thing about football and culture, it's a trickle down economy. And if you're not doing it upstairs, it's not going to get done downstairs. And so, you know, 
it's nice to sit there and recognize, hey, we need better culture and we need guys to come along and guys to be mentored and all this stuff. But it, it's it's an organizational process and um, the whole organization needs that kind of overhaul. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that. I always say that for, if this has been true for any business I've ever worked in or covered now in this job, that the, the culture, whatever it is, starts at the, at the top. You have an expectation of what you can or can't do based on the people who are who are on top of the food chain. So we'll get to the football part in a second. But based on that, you said you were out there. You, you were, you know, happy to see what Ron Rivera is trying to do. But he has a boss who is clearly in the news constantly. And there's always questions about culture coming from there. So to what degree do you think Ron Rivera and maybe to extend Jason Wright actually turn things around if the, the constant drag from the ownership is sitting there? Yeah, I think that's always going to be that's always going to be the biggest challenge. It's going to be a hard thing to overcome. And, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the future if, you know, Daniel Snyder is going to continue to be allowed to own the team or if they're going to, you know, have a vote from an ownership standpoint that he needs to go. I don't I don't you know, I, I don't understand that. I do understand that Jason Wright and, and Ron Rivera need, know there needs to be changes and they're doing everything they can, um, you know, in in where they where they kind of live and operate to make those changes so um we you know we shall see we'll we'll see exactly how that how that works out and uh, and you know these congressional hearings what comes of that but uh, that's a it's a tall task anytime we talk about changing culture it's easy to throw that term out there um but it's really hard it's really hard to have that effective change and and then ultimately um you know players have to understand um, that like nobody pays money to go watch Ron Rivera stand around his ass off. Um, nobody pays money to watch Daniel Snyder sit in the booth or in the box. Um, they pay money to watch you play because you are exceptional at what you do. And until you embrace the fact that it is your team and, and like you guys are the ones that there's not one coach on that staff that'll make a tackle. There's not one coach that'll throw a block. There's not one coach that's going to throw a pass or catch one. It's you guys. And until you embrace the fact that this is our team and, and you take ownership of that and you have the ability um, to put others ahead of yourself and to really lead with a servant's attitude, um, you'll never, you'll never be worth a crap. You just won't. Um, and that's why it's that's why it's so hard to get, you know, you, you got what, 20 plus coaches on your staff. You got, you know, 53 guys on your active roster. You got another, I don't know, another 15 guys, practice squad, whatever. To get all the, get 100 people pulling in the same exact direction, I mean, or close to 100 people, that's, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and it takes unbelievable unselfishness to to be able to pull that off. Uh, no, no, no doubt, no doubt. All right, well, let me let me steer us towards the football conversation. You do a great job as an analyst, of course, on games. You've, you've covered these guys as well. Uh, let's just say it's week one. You've got this game. You've got their, their opening game, and uh, we we come into the broadcast, and the 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 play by play guy kind of sets up. He turns to you, and now it's your chance to give us a little uh, editorial view of whatever. You come into week one for this team. You could there's a lot of different directions to go to on the football side. What for you is going to be like hypothetically the main focus for something about this team entering the year? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you you go back to you go back to the last couple of years, you know, and um, and last year you're competitive, fighting for a playoff berth. Uh, you beat a, a Tampa, you know, you beat Tampa in uh, in Washington. You 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 have some nice things going on, and you're doing that with uh, Taylor Heineke. And and let's let's face it, like he is a great story, and he's a good player, but. In this league, if you don't have one of those guys that can become elite at that position, the quarterback position, it's really hard to win on a week-to-week basis. Everything has to line up for you, and you have to be dominant in every other aspect of football. Um, And when I look at Washington, you know, at face value, I think dominant. They're dominant up front on the defensive line. They've got the potential to be one of the great D-lines in football. But football is such a complimentary sport that if you can't possess the ball and you can't wear out the other team, if your defense has to go from playing 55 to 62 plays a game to playing 75 plays a game, that battle of attrition, I don't care how good or how dominant you are up front, you're going to get beat. You've just, you've got to have that complimentary nature. So I think, Obviously, the biggest storyline going in is is what is Carson Wentz? Um, you know, can he can he regain the form that he had in what 2017 when he was considered an MVP candidate right up until he tore his ACL and then they went on to win the Super Bowl under a Nick Foles? Can he regain that form? Is he the quarterback that just got the living snot beat out of him in 2019 and just fell apart? Right. Um, you know, who like who is he? And, you know, and, and, and then, you know, all the, all the reports about, you know, guys being upset or him not having great rapport with some of the players or some of the wide, you know, it's usually the wide receivers that have the problem, right? They're, they're the ones that are, are commenting off record, uh, <laughs> right? Because, you know, yeah. they want, they, they, they want stats, but um, from everything I heard here inside the organization and the people I talked to, he has been, He's been tremendous inside the building. And I thought last year he played really well. I think it's really hard to kind of go through what you went through. Remember, you, you're going from an MVP candidate to all of a sudden them putting a statue of Nick Foles outside the vet, right? Or outside whatever the Lincoln Financial, whatever their field is called now. Right. And then you you get everybody hurt. You draft like like J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is your, you know, is your go-to wide receiver. They, they draft the guy in Rager who really hasn't produced in the first round. And, and then you can't block anybody. Everybody's injured. Everybody's out. Um, you give up over 50-some-odd sacks. You take a beating. It's hard to overcome that. It's hard to come back and play with that confidence, right? And so I think he did a pretty good job of doing that last year. They fell short in Indianapolis. You know, he'll take the lion's share of the blame for that because he plays that position. But, like, I, I see him fighting out of the, the doldrums that have kind of plagued him over the last couple of years. And, like, last year I thought he had games where he was really exceptional. So, um, you know, can he put it all together here in Washington? That remains to be seen. But, obviously, that's a, a huge storyline. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, like you said, if you don't have a, a star quarterback, it's really hard to win in this league. And whether Carson Wentz is a star, he does, I think, give this the offense a higher ceiling 
than they had last year with Taylor Heineke, who, like you said, great story, but just limited in ways physically that, that Carson Wentz and some of the other great quarterbacks um, are, are not. Um, that said, you mentioned the defensive line. Obviously, John Allen had a really good year last year. Deron Payne's totally solid. Chase Young, before the injury, really fell off with his uh, sack totals and, and, and pressure numbers and things like like that. And we'll see what, what he's able to do when he comes back. Um, to whatever degree you were able to sort of pay attention to what he was going to go through last year, how concerned are you about that kind of drop off? Or is that just sort of the sophomore slump or just young players is learning how to play in the league and adjusting to the league, adjusting to them. How concerned are you with kind of what we saw on the football side from with Chase on last year? Yeah, I had, I have had several, I had a long conversation with Chase um, at the facility, whatever it was two months ago, a month and a half ago, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the guys I brought into my production meeting. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, we have that production meeting. It's a great production meeting. Then he goes out and he tears his ACL, right? You always feel like, oh, gosh, sorry, dude. Um, he was phenomenal in the production meeting. And I think there's a couple things that happen to you, um, and especially a guy like that. So I think that oftentimes when you're so physically gifted, and there's no question that this guy is – that dude is is – I mean, chiseled from a piece of granite. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. he's a freak show, right? But you never truly polish or develop your game when you're that physically gifted. Because every Saturday you line up and you're just so much better than everybody else that you don't have to polish your game. You don't have to develop counters. You don't have to think about any of that stuff, Right. Then you get into the NFL and you get shocked a little bit, right? Like you get in the NFL and you have success right off the bat because you are physically gifted. But then you know what offensive linemen do more than anybody else on a football field other than the quarterback? They study. That group studies. And that group goes, okay, what were you effective at? Well, you're physically, you know, you're a gifted physical specimen. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take away your physicality. I'm going to upkick you. I'm going to short set you. I'm going to make sure you can't get going. Um, I'm going to, you know, change up sets. We're going to double team you. We're going to slide protect you. We're going to set inside and have the back chip. We're going to line up a tight end, right? And all of a sudden, you get into that next season when people know what you are, and they've really studied you, and they say, hey, man, I'm taking this away. And then what? What is your counter to it? Because you've always just been able to physically dominate people. Well, you get the NFL, you're not going to physically dominate guys because those dudes get paid and those offensive linemen understand the concepts and what they're trying to do and how they're going to take things away and how they're going to change the angles on you and also how they're going to get to you before you get going. And so they're going to effectively take that strength away. Um, I played with, some great offensive linemen, you know, I mean, obviously Russ Grimm and Jeff Bostick and Judge Kobe and, and Jimmy Lachey and Mark May and Raleigh McKenzie and, you know, yada, 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 on and on and on it goes, Eddie Simmons. And, and, um, and you know, I also played with Gary Zimmerman, um, you know, all decade of the 80s and the 90s. I mean, it, the guy was incredible. But I think one of the things that you always think about that I have thought about a lot and that I learned from those guys is 
what is a guy at his best? What does a guy do better than anybody else? Or what is his best move? Or what is he like, what is his greatest strength? And then as an offensive lineman, I'm like, okay, critical situations, critical moments. You know, we always talk about those critical matchups. It's a matchup game, right? Critical down and distance, third down and 12 towards the end of the game, third down and seven plus toward the end of the game, right? My first thought is, what is he best at? What does he do? And I'm going to set to take that away. I'm taking that away. I'm not going to let you do that. Now what? What's your counter? How do you adjust? And when you're physically gifted, like Chase is, you don't have a counter coming out of college. You know why? Because you've never had to develop one. Why? Because you line up and whip dudes' asses. That's what you do. And it doesn't work that way here. So I think that's really, before the injury, that's really what he was dealing with coming into his sophomore year is, shoot, all of a sudden they've adjusted to me and I haven't developed what I need to develop. And so I know, having talked to him, I know that's the things, you know, not only the rehab stuff, but that's the stuff that he's working on. Um, those are the things that he's thinking about. So like, that's, that's part of the growth process for any young player. Um, and, um, and that'll be part of his growth process. And I do believe he'll be, you know, he'll be a better player for it. Now you've got to get to the point where you feel confident. You don't think about, you know, injury and what's going on with your knee and all that kind of stuff. But I do believe that, uh, that he'll, you know, I do believe that at some point this season, he'll start to blossom. I don't know that I'll be early because usually it takes a while for you to grow into confidence and for you to quit thinking about the injury and you just start to react. Um, that takes time. But uh, I do believe he'll grow as a football player. All right. Well, I look, obviously, that's going to be a huge storyline for sure. Um, in the last couple of minutes I have with you, I'm going to ask you a couple of like, sort of like rapid fiery a couple silly questions and a couple other random questions nothing you can't handle right. I, i'm positive um growing up who was your favorite athlete uh mike webster all pro center for the pittsburgh Steelers, was my favorite player uh, a I mean, huge I, Steeler fan huge Steeler fan and i am i am that guy that uh has always been fascinated i wore number 52 in high school because of mike webster it's <laughs> amazing I mean, yeah i mean it's like uh, obviously, you you grew into becoming an offensive lineman, so that that works out. But yeah, it's not a, often you hear the center, uh, even especially mm -hmm. on a Steelers team that had all uh, Hall of Famers all over the place. That that, that that's amazing right. that it worked out for you that way. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of the offensive line, uh, for the Commanders, who's your favorite offensive lineman? Like, if I said you're going to go put on tape of any one of the guys they have here in this room, you got Charles Leno, obviously Andrew Norvell, K, uh, Chase Rouillet, Sam Cosme. Uh, what what have you? Trey Turner, Wes Schweitzer. Right. Who for you is just your guy? Who do you just enjoy watching? Well, you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see exactly kind of how that that whole thing pans out. I think Cosme has a chance to be a really good player. Um, and he caught my eye a little bit last year, and you know I just I just thought like man that guy's got that guy's got potential to be to be one of those guys that is a lockdown dude for quite some time there. So, um, you know, I've always, I, I like him. I like, uh, I've always liked, uh, uh, Norvell, um, back when he was back to his, uh, Carolina, I think it was Carolina and then Jacksonville days. So, 
Uh, I think he's a really good player, but I think Cosme has a chance to be kind of, he has a chance to kind of surprise some people of, uh, of how, you know, how physically dominant I think that guy could be. All right. Um, I went to a concert last night. It was mm-hmm. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, and Poison. R- r- rank them or be like, dude, I have no interest in any of them. No, 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 no. I mean, obviously, that's uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. And I wasn't a <laughs> I uh, right. I wasn't a big like I was a big hairband guy, you know. But yeah. um, you know, the crew was the crew was awesome. Obviously, um, there's no question about it. Def Leppard is probably Def Leppard. I mean, the crew has their moments. Uh, Poison has a lot of great moments, uh, but I think the staying power for me is probably Def Leppard. Although, um, although, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm a, a Poison guy as well because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm buddies with the lead singer of Poison, so uh, he's a, he's a friend. So. Anyhow, yeah, Brett, um, Brett, Brett Michaels is uh, is great. I've gained extra appreciation for him over the years when he's done the various uh, reality shows. And you get to know him as a person, yeah. and he's been a lot of fun to uh, to, to get to know. I always well, sort of say like Molly Crew has the higher ceiling, but like Def uh, Leppard is the more consistent one that's been able to maintain it. Def Leppard or Molly Crew's been all over the place, so like from an yeah. athlete perspective, there's no consistency there. But the highs are, are a well, lot more fun. Brett Michaels came to the booth. He's a huge football fan. He lives in Arizona and uh, he's a huge Steeler fan. So uh, he came up to the booth. I was calling a game and like literally doesn't know me from Adam. We're exchanging, you know, phone numbers like, oh, dude, I'm a huge fan. Let's talk football. And uh, and we become you know, we become friendly. I give him a big shout out on a, a Steelers game that I called last year. Uh, uh, so it just he's he's fun and and he loves he loves football and um, he's a he's an incredibly talented artist. But yeah, I think Def Leppard probably has more staying power for me. All right, fair enough. Uh, you're on Twitter, but I don't know if you give a crap about who follows you or not. But since we're talking celebrities, who is somebody that does not follow you on Twitter that you would like for them to follow you on Twitter? Uh yeah, I never really, I don't. I, I never really thought about it. I'd have to go through, like, I wonder who does follow me because I don't pay attention. Um, although I will, I will say this, uh, Glenn Powell in the new uh, Top Gun movie, right? Yeah. He yeah, is, yeah. Uh, hang, he's Hangman. Uh, he's, he's been friends with my daughters and he started following me. And uh, it just kind of, it just popped up on my phone, like randomly. And normally I don't see stuff, but I was just happened to be looking. And so, uh, we started direct messaging and, and I was just like, dude, proud of you, man. I know we don't know each other, but what a great, what a great movie. I don't know if you've seen top. I did. What a great I, movie. Yeah. And it was, was amazing. Like, it's not, yeah. It's not very often the sequel, you know, is better than the original. And he writes me back. He goes, I'm in Seoul, Korea on a media tour with, uh, with Tom. I'm standing by Tom right now. I just read him the, I read him your, you know, your text message basically. And he got all excited because, He's like the most competitive dude in the world, right? So uh, anyhow, kind of cool. But yeah, I don't like whatever. Like follow me, don't follow me. I don't really give a crap. Right. Well, no, that's a great one. Did you ever see the movie uh, Everybody Wants Some? The with Glenn Powell, the baseball movie? No, uh-uh. no, I didn't. And now, oh. he was in uh, he was in uh, Hidden Figures, which was great about uh, 
you know, one of those space missions. I can't remember which one it was, but right. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say, right, go, go see Everybody Wants Up. It's a Richard Linkletter movie who does, like, he did Boyhood, Days of Confused. So he's great. And Glenn Powell is easily the breakout star of the movie. It's a, it's basically like a Days of Confused, but it's a baseball team in college. And uh, he's, oh, he's, he, he's the breakout star for sure. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, lastly, just with this team, best guess. I get, you got to make a record prediction right now or or the thing for you to think will, we'll, we'll, you know, you're going to sort of – they think will happen it's going to be important what what kind of what's your prediction for this team this year yeah well i think that you know i think that division is um yeah i think that division has question marks up and down like dallas is you know dallas is going to dallas i like to say right they're they're going to read their press clippings and drop a few they probably shouldn't drop and um you know so they're attainable philly i think is is probably just both lines of scrimmage, the way they're built, the way they run the ball. I think Philly is probably would be my favorite to win the division, but so many question marks at the quarterback position. And, you know, and, and the Giants are woeful. So I'm looking at the commanders, you know, fighting for a wild card spot, maybe winning nine games, maybe, you know, pressing that area. And, and you know, whatever happens is going to happen. But Hell, like the winner of that division, what's the winner of that division win? 10, 11 max? I just, I feel kind of that's the way the division is. So, um, and it's always funny for me, 10 or 11, because back when there was 16, it's amazing. You add one game to it, how much different it, it feels. Like 10 wins or 11 wins when there were 16 games felt like, wow, what a great season. And now 10 or 11 wins is like, well, you know, you're just kind of crawling into the wild card berth. Uh, so I don't know. It just it just feels a little goofy to me. 17 is just a weird number. It's just not like, you know, yeah. the even number of 16 just feels better. 17, I'm like, what? what? We don't do anything to 17 in this game. That's right. not a thing. So, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird one. Um, Mark, I really appreciate it. I know we just said he doesn't care if you follow him on Twitter, but, you know, go follow him on Twitter at Mark Schlereth. Uh, but, you know, of course, you'll hear him this uh, fall on the on fox doing nfl games and uh at, at uh or 104.3 the fan in denver if you want to hear more mark uh which of course you want to but dude i really appreciate the time man uh hopefully we get to talk like uh, during the season my pleasure take care enjoy